Hello and welcome to the Gameology Podcast, episode 41. We're talking about the good, the bad, and the Super Mario Brothers 2. I am one of your permanent hosts, Matthew Falva, and I'm joined by... Attila Gabriel Brinitsky. All right, Attila, Mario 2. A little bit of backstory with it. Originally released in America, October 1988. It was originally a prototype for a vertical scrolling two-player co-op game where you'd be throwing your partner and items uh, in a way to sort of make your way up, but they couldn't find a way to make it really fun. Then they decided to make it a tie-in with Fuji Television, the Tech Expo, and each character was going to represent the mascots and the theme. This is when Miyamoto joined development, and he actually worked more with this game than he did on Mario 2, which we call The Lost Levels. And Koji Kondo, the famed Mario composer, composed a soundtrack. This was a. They originally put this out in America because they thought that Mario to the Lost Levels would be too difficult for stupid idiot North Americans. So um, going back to this game, what did you what did you think? Did you have any initial thoughts on it? I mean, it's definitely like most people kind of have this knee jerk reaction to like, oh, it's it's the Mario game that isn't really a Mario game. It's just yeah. uh, I believe if I'm not butchering the pronunciation on this, it was released originally as. Uh, Yume Kojo Doki Doki Panic in Japan. Hi. And um, yeah, the outside of Japan, the what we know as Mario Brothers 2 is known as Super Mario USA, just because it was released for like North American audiences who, as you said, were uh, playtesting indicated that North American audiences would find the original Super Mario Brothers 2 mm-hmm. too difficult. To and play. it is ridiculously that's that is how it's known around here. That's the first thing you come up with because it is very, very difficult. Yeah, I mean that now nowadays though that's got nothing on some of the junk that people are kicking out of Mario Maker. Absolutely, it's, uh, it's one of the things I always tell kids at camp is that it's not hard to make a difficult level; it's hard to make a fun level. Absolutely, I mean that's like the, what they were saying. They came up with the idea of this vertical scroller, but they just couldn't make it fun. And mm-hmm. we do see that's one of the biggest differences in this game compared to uh, the first one. And I and I would call this a Mario game, and that's why I wanted to say that Miyamoto did work on this and yes. Koji Kondo because it's because it I mean, the um, the mechanics feel pretty close to Mario in terms of like the jumping and the game feel of it. Uh, a lot of the enemies that they introduced in this be- became Mario staples yeah. later on. Um, but it's I think it's what it did differently that was so important. The vertical scrolling and the secrets, the the doors into different rooms um, and going down into different worlds definitely set this apart from the first Mario and then just sort of the detailed uh, the detailed sprites in the backgrounds. It, it definitely felt um, more like you were jumping into a storybook than the first game. Right. Well, I think I think at uh, when the game must have when the game came out, people must have. Um, not exactly known what to make of it. I mean, uh, Zelda, uh, the first Legend of Zelda game to come out on NES, and then follow that up with Zelda 2. Yeah, those are drastically different. different games. Absolutely. So maybe people just sort of looked at this and was like, okay, well, this is different, but it's it's still a game where you run around and jump, and there's Mario and Luigi, and oh, okay, cool, you can actually play as the princess this time, and she has this awesome floaty jump ability that makes the game easier yeah. uh, as a trade-off against her power and speed stats, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I was looking that up in Mario, they say, is the all-rounder. Toad is faster and can pick things up fast, which is very, very important when you're trying to collect coins in the... Uh, when you drop a potion, you go to that nighttime level. The more coins you have, the more chances you have in the slot machine at the end of the level for free lives. And this is a difficult game, and there's not a lot of lives to come by. They only start you off with three in the beginning. And, you know, the green mushroom-style uh, power-ups are very, very rare. 
So it's all about getting those coins, kids. It's all about gambling, getting as much as you can. Um, and then when they did the worst messages. Yeah. Yeah. And then take mushrooms for secret powers. Of course there were seven worlds, 20 different levels. Um, I don't, you know, I like this game every once in a while. I like to go back to it. If I have a friend, especially to play through it, but it's not one that really draws me back because I find it, uh, very long. And a lot of the gameplay is go down this area. It's, It's almost a lot like Metroid. There's a lot of vertical scrolling. There's even these kind of Metroid-type enemies that are circling around the platforms, grabbing a key and then running away from these terrifying masks and then going back. So I I always felt in this game there was more of like a crushing sense of impending doom and you're being chased a lot. It it had more of a horror feel to it as opposed to when I think of Mario 1 and 3, it's, it's a very happy, fun place to explore and everyone's smiling, whereas this game was this, it was like you were in a dream, but more like a nightmare. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, just by nature of the fact that they decided to put um, these key items, like you have to go find the key and then you have to go bring it to the spot that where it unlocks, and then from there you can like that that completes the level. As opposed to the only Mario you'd known up till that point was just a linear progression. Like, you just mm-hmm. go to the right, and then eventually you'll hit the end of the level. But uh, like, this is a game without uh, like there's no flagpole at the end. There's just these no like, keyholes. And you're right, yeah, no time limit, like which is what made gave you more time to explore the levels and uh it just it's interesting because like they bring the time limit back in future Mario titles. Of course, mm-hmm. they bring a lot of things back um from this game as well. Like you mentioned the different characters having different like stats and stuff. That's something we saw in Super Mario 3D World. Um for the Wii U, they brought back the basically the same character traits with Peach and her hover jump, Toad and his like super speed, Luigi and his high jumping. Like those were all traits that were essentially defined by this game. Um, other popular Mario characters like uh, the enemies, especially uh, shy guys, bombs, mm-hmm. um, uh, pokies. Cactus, I think. Yep. Yeah, yeah, they call yeah. pokies. Yeah, and um, yeah, Birdo's a popular a, character. Yeah, later to on. a lesser extent. Yeah, it's. Just, he slash she makes that was his a very, very progressive character in the manual it said he <laughs> thinks he's a girl yeah. and would dress up like a girl and i think nintendo has sort of canonically stomped down on that and said nope birder is female but whatever um yeah. and uh yeah at least birdo makes recurring appearances in the mario party games mm-hmm. it's not really you don't see birdo in any of the core mario titles not like the other characters no and uh this is actually one of the first marios where uh, the character could pick things up and throw, and yeah. and while in Mario Three that became a very big element of it, we'll we'll talk about it in the next episode, in two episodes from now, um, throwing was such a big part of that, and now every Mario game you can pick up and throw things. But a huge difference in this one is that the first enemy you jump on, thinking, "Yeah, that's going to kill him," like Mario. Now you're riding along, which mm-hmm. completely changes uh, the dynamic of it. And in, in later levels, it relies on you to get on the head of an enemy and fly across a certain level, a gap that you would never be able to clear or uh, ride a magic carpet ride and that kind of thing. Right. And that's why I was interested when you uh, said at the top of the episode, like, oh, this is a Mario game just like any other. But yet the the core idea of like jumping and landing on enemies yeah. and killing them. But in this game, you jump, land on them, and then you like lift them up over your head, and then you throw them to kill other enemies. Like that's so different from other the other Mario titles. Like it definitely has elements of the Mario DNA. Well, elements of a platformer, right? Mm-hmm. And then sort of, I think that over time, because so many things were lifted from 
this game, we come to accept it as a Mario title, but I, I don't know if at the time um, Nintendo really thought that obviously this is not the direction they wanted to take the Mario franchise. This was just a sort of um, we'll kick something out the door and as you said they, they put like some extra polish on it. You mentioned uh, I think before we started recording how yeah. they uh, smoothed up the sound effects and what other touches yeah, did they make the to sound it? effects sound a lot better. Uh, they added a lot of backgrounds to it where in Doki Doki Panic when you reach the end of a level it's, it's just a very bland I think solid color screen uh, as you're doing the slot machine level, whereas in the USA version, they created a nice background. They actually made it look like a slot machine. Um, so they, yeah, they tightened up things, and and the sound effects is the biggest one because they sounded awful every time you would hit an enemy. Of course, too, on the Game Boy Advance version, the mm. sound effects are very bad, and they added these voices that were very. They just the Game Boy Advance sound hardware at the time was not where you wanted to hear Toad screaming every time he picked something up. Um, but if you're looking to play this game, I'd, I'd recommend the uh, the Super Nintendo version, the remake remaster, is mm. is best. And even the original NES version is it holds up just fine. That's the one that people are looking at right now in the video. Okay, cool. Yeah, because the um, I suppose we should at least be glad that Nintendo gave us something as opposed to the sort of uh, Final Fantasy situation where there were just a whole bunch of titles in a row that did not come out in the United States until years later. Mm-hmm they finally re-released some of those games. Um, I don't recall exactly which ones they skipped. Was it like 2, 3, and 4? And then I think 5 became... Uh, for Final Fantasy? Yeah. Uh, yeah, 2 and 3 were only in Japan. 4 became Final Fantasy 2. 5 yeah, was right. only in Japan. And then 6 was 3. Okay, so I wasn't entirely incorrect that they skipped 3 titles. It's just the ones... Anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, so it just... I, I, I think it would have been... Uh, like I don't think people would have necessarily been disappointed if they'd have gone straight from Mario One to Mario Three, but just in in between, I don't think most people have anything against um, Doki Doki Panic as sort of filling in the gap between the two games. I don't think it's necessarily the sort of natural progression for the series, but at the same time, I don't think it was a bad game. Um, you know, no. if we if we had received like a subpar title in between, I think people would have been more frustrated with that. I don't know if uh, yeah, I don't know how people would have reacted if they had gotten their hands on what we now know as the lost levels. How that would have affected the Mario like perception of the brand. I I, I don't think it would have been as bad as Nintendo thought, um, because Mario Lost Levels is not inherently a bad game. It's building no. upon a really great game. It's just much more difficult, and I think that already already having the original people would probably have just called it the hard one. But it's, it's you know, like you mentioned how Zelda 2 Link's Awakening is so similar to this. It's a game that is just so much different, but contains a few of the linking aspects. So that's a pun. But, uh... And it, yeah, it's just that's a the very, reason the character's named that. What's that? That's the reason the character's named Link. Oh. Well, there you go. Now we're learning a lot he's of things. It's meant to represent like the, the link between 2D and 3D, the link between the past and the present, like the link between worlds. Like it's the, link be, the link putting all the Triforce pieces together. Um, and it's, yeah, it is so different. I don't, this is definitely the one I, I least want to go back to, like I said earlier, because I do find it a grind. I think that it's good. It just really doesn't hold up as much as, as much as the other ones. Whereas Mario 3, right. I, I still would love to go back and, and I, I could put right up against Super Mario World 
in terms of the best Mario ever made. And I still find Mario 1 a fun little jaunt to go through every once in a while. Whereas Mario 2, it's, you know, it, it's like that difficult double album a band puts out. or it, It's just so strange, but it's not bad. It is just different. Right. And it's, it's very solidly good. And because they were building on top of, I think you had such great design elements that were building on top of this strange foundation, you ended up with what we got. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, there's, there's, it's earned the title of like Black Sheep of the franchise for a fair reason. You know, it's definitely not like the the direction we wanted to see the franchise go in, which was what when things came around and Mario Three came out, that was like the thing people wanted to see out of the Mario franchise. And as you said, it holds up um, as one of the best Mario, best regarded Mario titles just of all time. So. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I mean, Mario, yeah, Mario I Two sold extremely well. Mm. Uh, I a lot of that, only... a lot, a lot of that is is to probably to do with it being the sequel to the most well known game of all time. I mean, it's for my girlfriend that doesn't know a thing about video games. Um, she has played Mario games, and she knows that. I don't know what she counts as those, but it's you know it's a, a canonical game in. I mean, it's just a part of pop culture. Um, I mean, Mario. I feel like we're kind of bashing it quite a bit but it did do some really interesting things i mean introducing the digging mechanics the uh the doors to different areas the the, a lot of the secrets there were so many secrets in this game uh the different like there's um earlier on there's a choice you can make where you can go to the right and you can head towards the normal exit of the level but you have to go through a lot more um a lot more hardship or you can jump over a waterfall to the left you can climb up a ladder you have two bombs that are planted and it's very tricky because the bombs are on a timer they'll hurt you and you need to throw them down this pit that goes down a ladder and ex- and uh, destroy a wall but the wall is above the ground in such a way that you have to time it so the bomb explodes yeah. in midair and if you and you only have two chances to do that and if you can right. get through then you come up to the back end of the level uh you hear the boss music you know you're on the right spot and you walk unseen o- over top and i mean little moments like that are it it made you think that there were probably a lot more spots in this in this game to uh, explore. So for somebody that wanted to take the time, and like we said, there's no time limit, uh, that was well done. And we saw a lot of that in Mario 3 and in Super Mario World and in, and all the Mario games beyond Every, that. Yeah. So, you know, they did sort of set that, that trend in a way. They, there were some things that, you know, we saw in every Mario moving on. Yeah, I feel like, if anything, it's actually the more recent Mario games where there is... There's still secrets, like, for sure, but there's not as many, like, crazy secrets, I guess. True. It's it's sort of hard to describe, but, like, that, that, that whole scenario you just described of, like, going backwards on the level and holding a bomb and tossing it so it, the fuse goes off at just the right time, I don't feel like that's necessarily um, the kind, like, the nature of the secrets that you encounter in today's Mario titles. No, now Mario like titles are those, just to give you a quick reward. Right, exactly. They they give you a um, like maybe a secret star if it's a Mario sixty four sunshine type level. Um, it it just they the fact that they they wove these kinds of experiences into the game into the core game rather than just letting them serve as a sort of um, skip to the end mechanic mm-hmm. or other such secrets. Like it's just interesting to see how it's now like finding these things is now more in line with the core experience of the game as opposed to some side attraction. Like, getting through 
and like finding all 120 stars in Mario Galaxy, you now have to, it has to be possible to find all these things. You can't have things that are that obscure anymore mm. because if they're now part of the core game experience, you can't have people missing out on them. So I guess, you know, there's something gained, something lost in a, the progression of all these franchises, but that's definitely something that uh, I think there's a lot of people who are especially nostalgic for that that nature of secret, that kind of like, you know, uh, Mario 1, you jump up to the top of the screen and you can run along um, like where the user interface of the game is being displayed. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like something that, uh, I don't know, you, you sort of feel like you're somewhere where you shouldn't be, almost. Yeah, yeah, you feel like you're breaking the game in a way, but it's but it's done intentionally, and it's not Absolutely. just, uh, it's not like a big celebrated reward. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's like a little wink to you from the game developer. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad they made this Mario 2. It's, I'm, I bet you that the ideas that they explored here made Mario 3 a better title because of it because they were able to sort of test it out. This this kind of feels like the awkward sort of teenage years where you can see the what the game would eventually grow up to become, but they were able to throw a lot of ideas at the wall and maybe because it was because it, it wasn't Miyamoto's baby to begin with, he was able to just go a little bit crazy with it and uh and then take that inspiration moving forward, take what worked and then also go back and embrace what Mario was originally. Uh, with the third one so I mean I'm glad it exists I still think it's worth a, a play for people to go back to and uh, it's it's just nowhere near to the uh, staying power of the of most of the other the franchises that came sort of before and after it yeah I mean I, I'll usually say that uh, I, I would prefer most 2D Marios to uh, the 3D ones but um, Mario 2 when I was going back to play this I found I just found it a bit frustrating um, also it has a terrible slowdown um, we're looking at a, a moment here mm. where there, we have snakes jumping out of vases, a cactus guy, and when those snakes shoot their little black pellets, the whole game <laughs> comes to a standstill. Yeah, there's just a few too many moving objects on screen at a time. Yeah, so it's it's solid, it's good, it's just it, it's not up to that same standard that we've come to expect from uh, almost every other Mario game. That's about all I really have to say on it, other than, you know, there was yeah, something I noticed likewise. I hadn't noticed before, is that in the very first uh, stage, first moment, there is that slight shadow behind some of the environmental objects, mm. which is something that we saw in Mario 3, where Mario 3 was basically a play, uh, yeah. where these this was all scenery that you saw shadow because that was sort of the backstage in the backdrop. Mm. So it was a, that was a neat little moment. I I wonder whose idea was to you know to put that in and and then if that inspired Mario 3. Yeah. Well, it's. Uh Thanks for joining us for this uh, relatively shorter episode of Gameology. If you'd like something to sumpl- supplement, <laughs> something to supplement your experience with, <laughs> you can leave that in. Um, do check out a produced a video supplement to Gameology talking about the tile sets of Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire, something that really had to be visual. So I recorded that one solo, and it's up on my YouTube channel. Uh, you can find that at um, let's see, my YouTube channel is called Bluish Green Productions. Uh, maybe we'll post a link to it in the show notes if you're interested in checking out some interesting compression and just otherwise um, artistic tricks they used to uh, create the tile sets for Pokemon Ruby Sapphire. And really, if you're just interested in game art in general, it's worth checking out. Hmm. Sounds good. I don't have anything cool like that, but I, I did put up a bunch of videos from every E3 conference. 
We'll have a half a bunch of uh, coverage on there. But you can find me on Twitter at GameThinkTalk and my writing at a 90skid.com. And Attila? You can follow me on Twitter at BluishGreenPro or my personal profile, uh, Attila Gabriel. And you can also check me out on my website, BluishGreenProductions.com, where you can submit uh, questions and ans- that we will answer on the show in future. All right. Thanks for watching, everybody. Bye for now. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. <laughs>